I think she thinks it's a finished project. Um, like the, 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 she's like, yeah, no, feminism was great when it did the thing. And now it's making it worse. It's time to let feminism go, you guys. You guys, feminism is in a lot of pain. So we're going to send feminism to a farm upstate. Like, <laughs> oh, so that he can spend more time outside running around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, that's, that's really nice. Send it to Canada to have a. <laughs> have a conversation <laughs> do i need to get rid of all my this is what a male feminist looks like t-shirts everyone welcome to the global politics podcast at the end of the end of history and now bereft of our evil patron saint um but we carry on nevertheless this is bunga cast uh hello um so on episode 342 which you may have heard we talked about family abolition the history of the idea what family abolitionism looks like today and whether it represents an embrace by the left of the atomizing trends present in capitalism today we did all this through the lens of one of its better known proponents, I guess, Sophie Lewis and her work. So today what we wanted to do is look in the diametric opposite direction, I suppose, at least within kind of the broad tent that is feminism. Um, and that is looking at a book called Feminism versus Progress by Mary Harrington, uh, who's a contributor to the British magazine Unheard. And in the book, she aims to trace the logic of care's defeat by freedom. So she comes out on the side of care as against freedom or autonomy. Um, Harrington is also the author of the reactionary feminist substack. And maybe that tells you um, already a little bit of what the book is about. Um, so we're going to come to the meat of Harrington's idea in just a second. But we wanted to cover her book as it arguably represents something of a turn against the most progressive or liberal versions of feminism today. Um, so it's a real counterpoint to Lewis's analysis. I think it's probably difficult to imagine Mary Wollstonecraft seeing much reactionary in the vindication of the rights of women or Simone de Beauvoir signing up to a reactionary feminism substack. Um, but for Harrington, uh, it's time to ask whether the technological progress from the pill onwards and progressive hyper-individualism that we've seen particularly present in the last 30 years or so hasn't in fact led to women's emancipation, but it's actually worsened conditions for the fairer sex. So anyway, I'm uh, Alex Hochul in Sao Paulo, Brazil, as you already know, I'm here as usual with George Hoare and Philip Cunliffe. And joining us again, I'm delighted to have her back to continue this discussion on, uh, well, on contemporary feminism, Amber Lee Frost. Hello. Hi, everyone. Hi there. Thank you for having me. And my, my deepest condolences for your loss. We're, we're grieving. You. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I had sort of pre-grieved because I knew that he was going <laughs> to die, but it was still came as a shock, particularly waking up at like early on Monday morning and then my phone being flooded with messages like, dude, he's actually died now. <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I didn't uh, pick up on it except from you guys. We are we're stateside not um, making note of the passing of a great man. And that's why our yeah. empire is in decline. Right. <laughs> And he well, gave, we can all, you know, he yeah. gave so much as well to America, you know, gave you the model for your own great kind of, your own great man. 
Yeah. yeah. Although, I mean, it's it's a mutual exchange because, of course, he brought America to Italy in many ways, um, you know, through the kind of TV programming and style of politics and TV and all the rest of it. So, you know, it's, it's a kind a of lot a mutual uh, exchange. Yeah. He brought a lot of places to Italy. Um, all those uh, collapsing Balkan communist countries that were hemorrhaging uh, people and, <laughs> you know, had also, very attractive yeah. women. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, dude was a real internationalist. Mm. He was, yeah, he had. <laughs> I, I would have sent a bus like a human trafficker and be like, he's a, an internationalist. It's an international exchange. <laughs> <laughs> Sex work is internationalism. <laughs> I mean, there is that argument. It's about fungible borders and penetration of borders. Get it? They love that mm. one. I think they're Putting so the smart for that one. Yeah. <laughs> but we have to. We have to keep going, though. It's what he would have wanted uh, to, keep, <laughs> to keep podcasting. That's what we could. That's what everyone says after after something like this happens. No, I've got. I've got my my armband on. Um, out of you know, just recognition of, of the great man, but will, you know, continue to, to do his work, spread his message as much <laughs> as possible. Indeed. Yeah. Um, so let's get, uh, let's get cracking. Um, so, I mean, Harrington starts, you know, with a rejection of progress, which um, I guess it's kind of resting to read that. Um, but I, I guess I have my doubts about how I don't know how serious she is about it. So we're going to get into that. Um, so she traces actually her own movement from a kind of hyper liberal way of life. So, you know, kind of non-monogamous living in a kind of commune of sorts, gender fluidity, et cetera, to then having a child, becoming a mother and then going, wait, all this progress theology, as she calls it, um, is nonsense. I don't believe in that anymore. So I guess to start off with, let's start off with, with this progress theology idea. What did we make of it? Is she right in critiquing it as a kind of whole collection of, of ideas today. And by, by uh, consequence, if you reject progress theology, are you a reactionary? Does that make you, gotta, you a reactionary? You've got to step one back, Alex. Does becoming a parent make you a reactionary? Well, <laughs> that's a much more that's basic, a point, yeah. a much more basic question. And I think probably at least from, you know, some kind of advantages and hyperliberalism, I think it probably does. Um, you know, just the assumption, the assumption probably is that it does make you um, more conservative. I think it's probably borne out, you know, traditionally, I think, in terms of um, electoral voting, um, at least up until, you know, housing has become unaffordable. But as for the period between the Second World War and the, you know, period when housing was actually affordable, I think you can probably track how people who have kids become more conservative in their voting patterns. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about something in that. Patterns, but, but yeah, but, I mean, I we're not I'm talking saying, about. I think, I'm not. I'm not. I think that yeah. is the pattern. I might be wrong, but I think that you can you can actually see that. So it's but just I don't, a factual I don't, claim. Yeah, but I don't think it's about like becoming more conservative and and all that. It's it's like you know she is really setting her stall out against progress theology. This hyper liberal idea that everything is progress, that everything, you know, and it and she says it it, it goes beyond the kind of empirical claim that this or that is better than it used to be. It's every you know that liberal idea in the 19th century the the river of history only flows in one direction well now it's uh i'm trying to think of the right way to put it it's gushing forward the river of progress that's not perhaps quite right you know what maybe you know what i'm trying to say but she's she's basically saying like she's taking a a stance against 
I think what is a real um, feature of hyperliberalism today, which is that everything is seen as a movement forward just because it's it's more recent and but so nobody, these, these, the trends the re- are more developed therefore they're more progress the reason i don't the reason i have difficulty with it is because none of its partisans actually believe in progress yeah you know, i mean that's the the tricky part right so i mean in the 19th century liberals did actually believe in progress but if you ask the people that she's attacking if you think things you know like all of these new things are evidence of the tremendous strides forwards that we're making that humanity is making they'd say well no you know what is humanity humanity's like white male cishet whatever humanity is like you know um destroying mother earth or whatever i mean you know so it's hard to square with the fact that the people that she sees as her enemies don't actually believe in progress, you know? I was drawing a lot of like con- like comparisons between her and the people she criticized. And I think she's a really astute critic of a lot of this stuff. Like I have to say two thirds of this book was a banger. And then of course she did the weird thing where she's like, and therefore, uh, you know, Mary Carpenter go homestead. Um, it's like, well, weird, weird turn, but, um, you've got to, you've got to do it. You've got to do it in an English accent, Amber, though. <laughs> and maybe it makes more sense than I do remember like when getting to that part, just as an aside and being like, yeah, bitch, I'd love to, I am a podcaster. Like what, are you, what world are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Show me that carpenter. Show me where are those? Um, just kidding. My boyfriend is a very nice artist (laughs) slash writer um but uh she is equally pessimistic about um or or her the people she is criticizing are equally pessimistic about quote-unquote progress um they also sort of have the same prescription it's very as she calls them you know sort of like bio libertarian or whatever but it's pretty libertarian to say, like, it's pretty bio-libertarian. You could say that having a, um, you know, a compound with a, a polygamy compound and uh, with a, a natalist uh, agenda, that's pretty libertarian, too, you know? <laughs> like, mm. uh, that they, they are sort of doing the same thing where that the left does, where they're taking a general trend um, of uh, like social degradation and the erosion of like power and collective power and um, kind of telling themselves and then and then making do with it and then kind of telling themselves that's what they wanted all along. Yeah. No, I think I think this is so I mean, I think there is an element of truth that like the, the some of her critics don't believe progress exists but if it did it would look like something which is essentially an acceleration of what's already there so maybe it's a bit like progress theology is a bit like liberation theology you know back in the 70s 80s where it's like not it's not that this thing actually exists in the real world but if we were to achieve it it would look in this direction i.e the progress that hyperliberals uh, might be stretching this a bit too far the progress that hyperliberalism uh, would recognize is only an acceleration of things which are already there so you can kind of read backwards from that that what exists in, if even if going more slowly in the present is a form of progress but not as much as people want 
Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I guess there is a bit of a straw, straw. I was going to say straw man, straw, straw personing some of the, um, some of the arguments of critics, but you know, I think we're all allowed to do that a little bit when we're writing polemically. I mean, I think, you know, ultimately it, I, what she's critiquing, I suspect isn't, you know, progress with a capital P, you know, as Phil kind of has already alluded to, not that many people believe in that anymore, but just the kind of whiggishness that, um, is kind of in the ethos and is expressed in, you know, there's that kind of meme which satirizes it, which is like, you know, it's 2023, you know, or it's, you know, it's 1995 or whatever. Like basically the advance of time indicates a certain progress and therefore like you have to get on board with whatever the latest thing is and whatever the new orthodoxy is. So what she's critiquing, I think, is just that kind of affirmative aspect, affirmative attitude, which it exists out there, which is like, well, this, this, we've just decided that this new thing is the thing. And this is the truth. And everything that's happened before it is wrong. And therefore, you must accept this. And like, okay, I think that's absolutely, it's absolutely correct to critique that. Um, but I don't think that necessarily should be leveraged into a rejection of progress wholesale. Do you think that there is in any political spectrum, do you think anybody like we're taking this for granted, but just do people really think positively about progress at this point? Like I, mm. I, I think you could say they did 10 years ago, like as recently as 10 years ago, they're like, it's getting better. We're going to be okay. Yeah. Um, even with like the financial crash. And I don't know that anyone is really like, I don't, I don't think that's a reactionary position because one, it precludes, um, any sort of option except let's do the thing that we were doing before as if that were even possible. Um, and, or, or it limits the scope of, of options you have to the thing that we were doing before the horrible thing that we're doing now, there's, there's no sense that there could be a different thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think, I think, we, I think yeah. yeah, people are so, are so pessimistic. It's a kind of, it's definitely an increasingly catastrophist, like political imaginary or political imagination of like, you know, people who you have to now be a bit of a, I don't know, it almost makes you nostalgic for the, for the centrist liberals of, of your, where, who actually kind of did have some idea you can you know if you do politics in this way you can actually make things a little bit better now i think progress is is a bit too much to hope for avoiding catastrophe is the you know that's the the, the horizon more um not even avoiding just mitigating riggishness yeah maybe yeah, yeah. <laughs> save well, save I, some I, people <laughs> i think i think the strongest indication of decline is the fact that we can be nostalgic for anything nowadays for example george being nostalgic for centrist liberals that's <laughs> <laughs> 2012 it was the it was, the, the it, peak, it was right? peak yeah yeah just a bit of knobs there for you so um let's bring this back to the terrain of, of feminism because that's the container for this whole sort of discussion um so harrington uh, describes contemporary feminism as bio-libertarianism um, and one of the continued uh, targets of hers is what she calls cyborg theocracy. She's got a, um, a kind of uh, great ability to coin these terms. They're kind of She's they're throughout the book and they're like, oh, that was good. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> um, and we'll come to some uh, others of these big romance, meet Lego, sexual Reaganism, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to come to those. Um, but yeah. for now, cyborg theocracy. Um, what is this notion? And I, I, is she right? Is she fair in characterizing contemporary feminism um, as 
as this, as cyborg theocracy, as bio-libertarian? I, I thought that was one of the parts where she had a good point. Um, it's, I think this sort of worship of, um, or not worship, uh, this eschatological, eschatological, I don't know how to say it, um, this kind of end of the world. Eschatological, yeah. That's right. Uh, Eschat. Uh, yeah, I'm making it sound like shit and the end of world. I'm combining scat with it. <laughs> Scatological. I don't think the apposite. Yeah. 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 That good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm evangelical, so the end of the world is actually a good thing. We're very dialectic about these things. Um, but the like the the looking forward to this era, this this post human, um, post corporeal ideal, um. Yeah, like that's 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 the dream, right? Is to just be like a brain in a jar and and that will liberate us from that pesky issue which is not, you know, subjugation or exploitation but being embodied. Yeah, no, and, and she she makes a, a good reference back to the gnostics, this idea that like, you know, you attempt to escape the physical. Like all uh, I don't my theology my like middle ages theology is not it's not great so they might be getting this wrong but if i remember correctly it's like all sin comes from the body so the way to like escape from sin is to escape from the body not just mastering it but going that that step further and so she says well yeah this has kind of come back now but the way that she brings this in is by saying that the cyborg this kind of cyborg uh cyborg theocrats um you can get to the 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 ruling bit the the, the Ocracy bit but yeah they're, they're trying to like delegitimize this idea that we have a nature in the first place everything that's bad is due to the fact that we're embodied like that is the impulse at least in the way she has it of a lot of contemporary um feminism which is a, a sort of i think an, a, a really interesting point because she's getting that there is clearly some attempt some changing very clearly changed relationship to nature in contemporary um feminism and you know this is her characterization of the dominant trend within it yeah uh the other thing that is interesting about her is that she makes a distinction not just between her and liberal feminists even though she considers herself she considers herself a feminist she makes a distinction between herself and like turfs who like a trans exclusive radical feminist which is like eight old lesbians that everyone is obsessed with um she's because she's she's like i'm not gender critical she's like i am an essentialist um and i do kind of like that she just says that and just moves on she says she's just like so there's some argument as to whether or not there's anything innate about um sex and bodies or whatever she's like a lot more has been written on that but i'll just say that i'm sympathetic to that position <laughs> yeah and then she just I, went I on she's like too. yeah uh, men be men, women be shopping, like moving on, um, which I like because, you know, you don't actually, one, you could get caught up in the weeds in that. And two, that's a very valid position that we have completely foreclosed upon, like without um, ever really discussing it. But like to the degree that women's movements all over the world exist, very few of them are like, there's there's no essential gender that's the issue like uh i think very few of them are about sort of um erasing sexed difference um 
And it's just been a long time since I've read anything like with that in it. Like even yeah. if you read something from America in the seventies, they're like, hmm. you know, they can be kind of like wishy-washy about it. They like women are natural carers and you're like, all right, well, you haven't met some of the women I know, but, but there is a, like, that's still the common belief across the world. And I haven't seen it in like a contemporary book a book on contemporary feminism in forever. It's just very funny where it's like, oh yeah. yeah, most people still believe that. I forgot. This, yeah. And I guess this goes back also a bit to the, to the title, like reactionary feminism. Like I, I mean, we would, before we started recording, we were discussing a little bit like, is this, is, because I found it less reactionary than the title suggested for, for reasons like this. Like this is, this is an idea that you, you know, you might think quite a lot of people hold, and certainly a few years ago, like a lot of people would have would have had a quite a lot of sympathy with. And now, to kind of state this makes you know, do you then have to pa- self consciously package your your position as as reactionary? That that is a that is a clear that is a clear change. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just didn't think that it was uh, as as reactionary as I, I was expecting. I, I mean, I didn't like put it go on to Amazon and leave a bad review saying I was expecting more reactive feminism in it <laughs> you know only two then. stars because it was yeah but you know and that's the point i'm trying to make that if that's one of the kind of the ideas that constitutes reactionary feminism that's not a you can have way way more extreme reaction reactionary uh ideas i think in other sure but she but she is, really loads up for the end at the end she she goes you know she goes pretty what? pretty hard on on prescription and, and they are pretty reactionary but it's all tacked on. I would agree to that. I mean, it's kind. Of, this is kind of like what, what brought home to me reading it was less about Harrington than about how extreme kind of contemporary radical liberalism is and the one-upmanship that you get in that circle, which Sophie Lewis exemplifies very well, you know, just staking out the most kind of crazy position you can because in the attention economy, that's what will make you thrive. Um, and, you know, the internet accelerates this and fuels it back and this outrage circle cycle kind of fuels it even further and so on. Because of that, it means that there's this whole area of political space to its left or to its right, however you want to perceive of it, um, but to, you know, to one side of it, which is left without definition, right? So it's like if you're going to go against all the kind of crazy, rad, liberal, um, g- gender ideology, blah, blah, blah stuff, okay, but does that make like it's unclear then when you when standing against that whether you are like a full on reactionary defending essentialism defending um kind of uh you know biological some kind of biological determinism or whatever or you're just like a kind of old school liberal modernist who um just doesn't go along with the new stuff right um and it, it and it's weird how kind of think uh, Mary Harrington's book being a, a prime example of this is one of those where it just like stands in that space, but you're a little bit unclear about where exactly in that space it's actually standing. You know, as Amber says, like towards the end where, where she gets to her prescriptions, it's like, okay, those are quite um, explicitly very conservative reactionary even yeah. positions. But um, but it, in the other stuff where it's like, okay, I get that critique, but how far are you willing to go along this line of thought? Are you defending a kind of biological essentialism or are you just going, well, sex matters, but there's also other stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just just I mean, before we get get onto that, we should um, just for listeners who, who maybe haven't read it, just go through a little bit what cy- what's what the cyborg bit and, and oh, who, yeah. you know where where this where this comes from, and I think because it is um a, yeah you kind of I think it's probably the best 
bit of the book is some of these little phrases that she comes up with for stuff. Um, but yeah, this idea of, I mean, it comes from the work of um, Donna Haraway and it's um, this idea that technology basically supersedes nature. I mean, I think I'm being a bit crude in that summary, but there is a clear kind of techno utopian aspect of it. We can conquer our inherent nature and then, you know, eventually move to, to getting rid of it entirely. But it's a, that is one aspect and that's how it ties into the progress bit because there is a technological forward drive that, um, that, you know, opens up more possibilities. And that's what's I think being celebrated in the kind of um, the cyborg theocracy, that possibility of an, or it more that there's a view of emancipation that sees that as the the pinnacle, i.e. escaping from the body um, of, of freedom for individuals. Yeah, it's a, it's a real transition and it was very, and I don't even think that many people read um, Donna Haraway or whatever. I, I haven't read all of it. I'm just like, I've, I've looked at it and done little bits and I'm like, eh, I get the gist. Uh, but, but it had this overarching effect where, um, it kind of was, well, it was a little last nail in the coffin maybe, but it definitely like shoved off from this idea of like, what are women's interests and what are women's concerns to what is a woman? Um, (laughs) you know, it, 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 I guess it like went back to de Beauvoir in that way, but like, you know, there was an actual like material political component to that, um, to the project for quite some time. And it was, you know, focused on like welfare mothers and workplace sexual harassment and access to health care. And then it's like gender and these abstract things that have nothing to do with the body and, you know, complicating gender. And like, for me, my position on, um, uh, you know, is there anything essential about the sexes has always been like, who cares? Uh, it's like, it's kind of, it. Mm. you kind of get in this weird trap where, where you're like, oh, actually politics is who I am. And that is constitutive of what makes me and what is my, what is my body or anatomy or biology deterministic towards? And it's like, I, I don't care. I just tend to focus on how things operate in the, in the real world. <laughs> But, that, but that's yeah. a really good point, actually, because yeah. it, it, it actually makes me think about, you know, beyond the question of even of feminism, but a lot of, um, I guess, whatever, postmodern left ideas, to put it that way, um, how kind of seemingly kind of apolitical they are in the sense of like rarely having clear political demands. You can go, OK, this is what I understand of them. And it's part of the reason why the kind of new right the new or alt right or whatever is able to project all these kind of fantasies onto the postmodern left is like they're going to do all this they're coming to take your kids away. Maybe they are going to take your kids away, but they're probably not even going to achieve anything because they're, they're just useless. But it's hard to pin them down because it's not, as you say, it's not like oriented around some clear demands, which then also has some philosophy behind it. But you know what the politics are. It's like, it's a lot of philosophy and then maybe some mm. politics that you're trying to figure out what exactly it is. It's a lot yeah, of psychoanalysis. Yeah, it's, it's, I guess that, I think, I think you're right, Amber, that the kind of, it becomes more abstract by questioning its own kind of starting point that idea of like is it the goal of fem or is it the the purpose of feminism to question what a woman is and abolish womanhood or to further women's interests and you know there's obviously both of those things to a certain extent you know come through in the history of feminism but the balance maybe at least in the you know harrington's description of the cyborg theocrats the bio-libertarians the contemporary feminists 
they're 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 the kind of ones who are you know looking at that more philosophical uh psychoanalytical abstract kind of questions rather than the the material um um kind of claims and i wonder if that's because of you know what explains that if it's the success of some liberal feminist kind of ideas if it's if it's a sign of i guess a sign of strength or weakness essentially is my my sort of thought why do you then end up with that movement of the discussion to these more this more kind of abstract ground so i don't know that's, that was kind of a question maybe a question to just hang in the air or, or half-formed thought rather than a question to anyone specifically but yeah i mean it's, I think it's just a point well made amber yeah we're freewheeling So maybe we should move on to some of the more relational stuff rather than kind of what is a woman, um, specifically relation um, of women's relationship to other women or men and to children. Um, so one of the kind of neat terms that she introduces is meat Lego, um, where she, <laughs> well, that's her account of sex basically today, you know, that um, feminists today see sex um sexual relations yeah her account of feminist story <laughs> as, about as, what biological sex is yeah yeah um that's you know meat lego so i mean it, it's a neat term um who wants to who wants to kind of discuss that george <laughs> uh yeah i can do it's uh i remember playing with with lego as a as a kid and i, I don't know i don't know if this make it gives that a different kind of um valence but no basically the idea is that Bodies are essentially bits of Lego that can fit together in a number of different arrangements, orientations. You can have a number of different pieces of Lego, which are kind of <laughs> slotting in or stacking up on on top of each other and whatever. And uh, yeah, sorry. Stop, you're <laughs> turning me that. on. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I won't, I won't promise promise people a good time here. This, uh, yeah, anyway, the, um, yeah. So her, basically what she's saying is that the body is reduced to an object the objects interact and it's a purely physical thing i mean the well, she does draw out some of the yeah go on sorry and it's uh infinitely like we're made of infinitely um permutational and interchangeable parts as part of it too where it's just like there's nothing um there, there there's nothing arbitrary or deterministic about about it uh, which yeah. I kind of liked because it, it is a very like anti-nature um, position. Um, uh, yeah. She, or, she, or that she, in the way that she's like, this is very anti-nature. And I do think she's pretty consistently pro whatever she thinks like nature is. And it's, it's recognizable. Like, mm. I don't think it does her, I don't think it does us any favors to be like, mm, well, what do you mean by nature? Mm, I'm in feminism 101. Well, like, you know what she means. <laughs> <laughs> mm. so yeah she says um uh in in this vision i.e the, the meat lego um vision of contemporary feminism towards towards sex um body ceased to be interdependent sex and sentient and are instead reimagined as a kind of meat lego built of parts that can be reassembled reassembled at will and it's quite like i guess um yeah the it is that again it's like this is the opposite of nature or this is the kind of escape from nature and she keeps coming back to that as like this is the grounding 
um, the, the, the kind of natural is the the limit which this contemporary feminism wants to kind of assume away or like just say this isn't the way things are um and that's you know that's i think ultimately the source of her of her you know of her critique and her particularly when she comes to her positive suggestions that's clearly where they originate from is that defensive of what she yeah as you were saying she says she perceives as natural she says it's a it's a part of a project of domestication um which I kind of like, like there was something like wild about sexuality and now we're going to put it in like a little gray onesie and, and, um, and, and about sex and gender, uh, more generally is that there's something, you know, natural about it and we're taking it. Um, this is the natural course of, uh, the way, um, the way our, our relationship to our, our bodies and our sex is responding to industrial capital. She, one thing I think she is really good about it she's like feminism was a response to the developments of industrial capitalism and then a just bang up history um Mm. but she gets into this idea of like sort of wanting to rewild sex and get away from the meat lego thing and you know let it flourish or whatever but then again like you know this is this is the issue with like that kind of like libertarian form a little commune of 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 a family prescription is that like well if if you've had an animal and and it's lived in the zoo, you can't re-release it into the wild. Like that toothpaste is not going back in the tube. I don't think your your little you know homesteader fantasy yeah. is going to bring back. The, you know, yeah, that's right. I think she. I mean, so I'm a bit less. I'm a bit. <clears throat> I guess I'm left kind of. Um, I'm less I'm less kind of taken I suppose with some of the labels she comes up with. I get the you know I mean they're great, you know, but at the same time I feel like she's kind of very, you know, she's kind of rebranding things that are very familiar, um discussions and complaints, you know, kind of I don't know like um the soullessness of modern dating or something like that. And she calls it kind of meat lego gnosticism. And so it gives a kind of, you know, it she repackages it in a way which gives it this kind of um, intellectual heft rather than just a kind of cliched complaint, you know, but it doesn't seem to me to, I don't know that it gets, you know, gets much further than the, than the standard complaint. And I think you're absolutely right, Amber, that in terms of like what she says about her prescription, when she puts it like that, it's just another kind of option, you know? So you have a kind of um, lifestyleism. Yes, exactly. In so essentially, that's what it amounts to is a new kind of lifestyle politics. It's just the option that hasn't been offered. And, it, you know, it's not, I mean, it's it feels in some ways it feels a bit kind of um, uh, unfair to criticize somebody for that, because in a world in which everyone is forced to be a grifter, you know, it's hard to kind of break out of that. But nonetheless, it does seem to fall into the same trap. Yeah, yeah, I, I, mean, I feel I, like the same way about her as I do with sure. some conservative writers where I'm like, what if you just ended the book here? What if you didn't have to give a prescription? Because you have some very good diagnoses um, and there's some good mm. history to it. But I feel like they do this amazing like job of, of you know, tinkering. Like she's very like Lashian um, and not to that level, you know, but but in the sense that she's quite good, I think, at sort of um, 
looking at what undergirds problems instead of just being like kids today and really taking it seriously. Um, but like, why, why, why did this end with, and therefore, you know, go homestead? <laughs> like, why would you, you didn't have to do that. It's very weird. I think she didn't have an answer. Uh, I think she arrived the, the conclusions that she arrived at, uh, maybe were very, uh, depressing and dispiriting. So she's like, fuck it. I don't know. Go live in a cabin. Yeah, I mean, I think I guess it's it's that space again that I was talking about that, like, okay, you leave the kind of like liberalism because it's crazy and stupid. Yeah, cool. Absolutely. Um, And then you like fall into this space. You're like, whoa, 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 how far am I going to go? I'm just falling all the way over this way. I don't know if that captured on the mic without I was getting further away from the mic. But anyway, (laughs) um, you know, you're (laughs) like and and you don't know exactly how far far you're going to go. So, yeah, homesteading. Okay, that's kind of wild. Are you going to go? You know, how far are you going to go along this line? And I think the contrast to Lash is interesting. It's also, you know, as you read this through, you're like. Lash could be cited at several points throughout here, um, and there's actually few fewer than you'd expect. And I think probably like just holding back because you don't want to keep citing the same author. We've all been there. Um, but like you know, <laughs> the the feeling is that um, you know you read Lash and you come away kind of troubled, right? And but you're like not exactly, and you're trying to figure out exactly how to respond to 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 the holes that he's just poked and a lot of things you took for granted. Whereas with her, it's a bit like, as you say, she then kind of is like, okay, but I can't just end this here. I need to reach for something else. I need to kind of um, put a, put a firmer conclusion on this. Just, and just on this last point. Digging I mean, out house. Yeah. I mean, do, do you remember any of the, the prescription of uh, culture of narcissism? I mean, it was like, I, I can't really, it's probably like be less narcissistic. Um, or something, <laughs> or be more connected. But, well, but he, I, I, I kind of want to. He, he is a little more materialist than her, and that is kind of my issue with uh, the prescription as well. It's like, what on earth makes you think that you just gave like a very interesting, you know, materialist history of, uh, you know, women's movements and their evolution in the West since the Industrial Revolution, like before, during and throughout um and then you get and you're like well this these are the conditions that produce these movements and these are the um you know the the changing relationship uh to labor that that um that formed what is a modern woman and she appears to think that you can just opt out which is like it goes completely against the idea that like, why would you have like this, like, uh, post-war, like, or or pre-capitalist? I guess what she's describing is semi-traditional, but with all the with all the happy mo- modern amenities. I don't know exactly what her vision mm. is, but like, she she definitely wants to go back to a kind of thing. But how could well, she do the- that under uh, current conditions? Like, that's the whole point. You just got done saying that we are like this and we live like this because of these historic conditions what do you mean are we supposed to like transcend it so i mean at the, at the risk of being slightly un, unfair but you know and i don't want to personalize it but she brings in her, her personal biography and you know she's been able to opt out right because she has a husband who can who was able to support her until she decided to raise a child and you know good for her um and then it kind of like i'm, I'm not sure if that com- somehow forms her vision of like well maybe we should all just opt out from hyper-liberalism. Um, but what's funny is that, as you I say, Amber, she still wants out of, out of uh, precarity. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, so she wants all the modern, she wants to kind of get rid of uh, all the hyper-liberalism, but continue in, you know, kind of all the modern good stuff, right? Um, but she, at the same time, she says she doesn't want to go back to the 1950s. This is where most conservatives are wrong. Um, I've heard her, I think, either in the book or in the or in a podcast where she's like, you know, most conservatives are also signed up to progress theology. They just want to go a bit slower than everyone else. Um, and no, I don't want to go back to 1950. I want to go back to pre-modern times, basically. Um, I'm caricaturing it slightly. But, but, you know, basically she says that, you know, all this, all this stuff started with industrialization um, and we need to go back to something or, or re, re, retrieve certain um, relations and kind of modes of organizing family life um, which existed pre-industrialization. So it's not about going back to the 1950s. It's about going back to the 1450s, as she says at some point in the book. Right. But I, I mean, and, and, and not to be all, oh, you criticize capitalism, but you have an iPhone. Uh, but... It, yeah, no, that's not, that wasn't the, man, the, the my intention. Yeah. There. Oh, yeah. No, I, no, I know. Uh, I, I know. Um, but it, it's, she's still talking about like, just completely like Renaissance fairing your life. I mean, without those aesthetics where it's like, well, yeah, we still get to shit indoors and have modern medicine, but this is, it's, it's, it's pure lifestyle choice. And she has benefited as have like, you know, most women will, will agree that capitalism has been a, a mixed bag, but like industrialization is we, we live in it. Like, yeah, and especially, I mean, when she opens up with, um, you know, recounting her difficult birth, um, you know, very clearly the kind of the, um, you know, a beneficiary of modern, of modern medicine, you know. So I mean, yeah, that that like you say, that's all. You know, that's there's no there's no escape. I mean, there's no real escape. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, mean this it is why. Hmm. I, I'm just not sure that I. So I, I guess I was a bit more sympathetic to the whole, to the whole book, and maybe, or maybe just to the proposals, because, you know, the idea of reactionary feminism, you, you can't turn the clock back. That's just not possible. So I don't think anybody, or, or maybe that's just my, <laughs> I'm bringing in my own idea. And she so would agree with that. She, she said that. She would agree yeah, with you. So, it, so if you can't, if you can't turn the clock back, and if you have these technological. Um, changes then i just think i guess this is one thing i was thinking is like what's a, what's the better way to characterize her position because clearly she does point to or i think she is correct to point to a real idealist um strain in modern um liberal feminism or hyperliberal feminism that there is a but does that mean then she's a, just a materialist feminist because that's um you know one-sided perhaps to a certain extent in its own way that she in the in the kind of history chapters she does go through what she she kind of consciously um kind of draws this like material history so is that is that a better description for her position i was this is one thing i was wondering like is it is it um just that she's she's has a very fixed idea of what nature constrains us to do and that's the material starting point and so that's where the I'm trying to see if there's a way to to make the proposal. As a historian, she is a materialist. As a historian, she is a materialist. Uh, as a woman, she's a lifestylist. It's a very strange um, and jerky read. Again, um, this 
really impressive history. And then you get to the end and you're like, who's this chick that wrote the last quarter of the book? Who's this crazy woman? Yeah, I mean, maybe we should we should talk. Do you think we should talk about the the proposals? And yeah, I think because I, I think, think mm-hmm. I, yeah, yeah, I was gonna I was gonna get onto that. I mean, I, there's a, just two one things I want to kind of um, kind of nail down from the book, um, which relates to relations primarily between men and women, um, but just in general, kind of sex and dating. Which is, you know, she's critical of what she calls big romance, which emerges in the 19th century. Um, but kind of continues almost until today. Um, you know, the idea that you fall in love with someone and you um, get checked up and and whatever. Um, and it's been, and then, but it's more recent replacement with sexual Reaganism, which is, you know, this kind of everybody's on the market um, all the time, Tinder, et cetera. Um, everybody knows these ideas. We've we've had episodes on this as well um, in the past. Well, maybe I'll put them in the show notes. Um, but, um you know, I so what picture then emerges in her critique in her critical reading, both of big romance and sexual Reaganism? Um, what is her vision then of relations? You know, I wouldn't say relations between the the the, the sexes, but I don't want to be heteronormative. I guess of kind of you know intimate sexual relations, romance, partnership, or whatever. Partnership, yeah, yeah. Um, I so that I found. People use big. I've heard big romance used a few in a few different, you know, things. And uh, feminists have been using some version of that. I'm not. I have to say, I'm not totally sure. I have nailed down what she means by it. So I might be like wrong (laughs) about this. But I, I, I thought it's. I think it is sort of dubious to insist that, like, you know, sexual Reaganism does not accommodate for big romance like at least the ideology that she's talking about like it's yeah. it's certainly like you know can commoditize our desire to find relationships but that's not what that's not what she's talking about um and sort of the ideology and the fetish of romance or whatever um but i don't i also just don't think that that's like uh, true that that was never that romance was only recently, um, you know, mass culture and, you know, the idea of romance was disseminated or something like it's, um, I'd like, I'm pretty sure like Penelope, uh, weaving Laertes death shroud, you know, played pretty well with the cheap seats in whatever, 800 BC. I think people like romance. We, I think we as humans, um, ritualize and fetishize, how we form uh relationships you know like Mm. i think i i i don't think um it's quite the 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 natural state of it is quite this practical bloodless handshake uh exchange she is kind of saying it is yeah i don't know what she would say about that i think she would probably say you know you had little you had a collection of little romances um in in kind of pre-industrialization but then they all became agglomerated or or scaled up into one, you know, big romance, capital B, capital R. This kind of idea of a partnership, and, yeah. yeah, based on. So she says, based on, yeah, it's very like practical, personal affinity, mutual respect, the basis of the material and practical work undertaken within a family. And you can kind of ag- agree or disagree with her, um, with with the actual history of whether this kind of the emergence of, or the 
I was going to say mainstreaming, but like the, you know, the, the common acceptance of this was was um, at the time of the Industrial Revolution and after, and that's how it pervaded the rest of society. But I think there is something, and I do like the phrase sexual Reaganism. It's, I mean, not that it makes you kind of think of Reagan in a different light, perhaps. But the, I think the idea that this <laughs> sexual like, Thatcherism. <laughs> well, there, there's a whole so sexy. there's a whole load of. Um, <laughs> I think there's a whole load of, well, I don't know about Tories these days, but, you know, I think Tories 20 years ago, there was a kind of sexual Thatcherism. I mean, they- No, there was, these, but that was- They used was to call her mummy, didn't they? Yeah, that they, was very oh. famous. She oh. got like, she appealed, I guess, to that kind of, um, the Tory boy who'd been to public school, the matron and the headmistress. I think, you know, she, but she played on that explicitly. Yeah. 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 But the, I suppose, so, you know, the big romance thing, I mean, I take, you know- Obviously, I take her points about how industrialization kind of completely rewired the nature of human society and human relations. Big romance in my head is the 1950s, and it's America as well. You know, it's kind Ooh. of um, losing your virginity on prom night, um, going to the movies, you know, maybe a drive-in, um, getting like your driving license as the marker, as the kind of marker of becoming independent and kind of going out into the world literally like if you say big romance i just get all the kind of um you know kind of uh, the back to the future kind of imagery right from the first one when he goes when marty mcfly goes back in time to the 50s when his parents were around that and everything that's associated with that that is the kind of ideal of big romance that i that i kind of pick up on when she talks about it so it's a very i suppose what i mean is like it seems to me like it's just a very distinct, it's kind of more compact as a period um, in, you know, in our, um, in our kind of uh, history than she kind of allows for. But one thing that I think is good is she taught, I think, and is that how the emphasis on self-actualization, and this is where, you know, where I think she's, um, where I think I, I disagree with you, Amber, about, you know, that, I mean, I take, obviously, you know, I take your point about kind of human that we're endlessly fascinated and have always been endlessly fascinated by how people form attachments. But the idea that you self-actualize through this kind of contractual bond um, and that it's kind of heavily associated with certain kinds of consumption patterns, even in the air of big romance, that seems to me very distinctively modern. And also that it kind of lays the ground for being transformed into sexual Reaganism, where it's still kind of about, it's still about the self and it's still about these kinds of um, contractually organized bonds, but it's shorn of any of the, you know, it's kind of liberated from the... Commitment. Yeah, but also from the idea of redemption, you know, or the idea that you're going to be realized through through an individual. It's so it's shorn even of that, and but it still has that kind of emphasis. You, but you actualize through constant cycling through different partners, you know. But the self actualization is the common thread. Oh, like the optimization. Kind of well. Yes. Yeah. 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 No. Yeah. I think I'd agree with that. I guess. The, I guess my problem with it is is I was trying to find. Like, you know, okay, well, what is, um, what is little romance? Like what, what, what was it before? So I could, like, mm -hmm. if there was like a, like a two paragraph history, I think I would have found it easier to sort of, uh, get on board with that because I, I just, big romance gets used a lot, um, in feminist writing, usually in like very like surficial stuff. And it generally they're, they're talking about like, I don't know, 
the people who make the candy hearts or whatever. It's a very like nineties criticism. It's like Valentine is made by the greetings cards, like whatever. Um, <laughs> but like uh, the kind of greeting anti, card, anti -com. Yeah, 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 that kind of thing. Um, but what she's talking about is obviously something more complex than that. But I, I couldn't quite find the contours of it. So I, I wonder whether we might not move on to um, something which is a kind of troubling seeming paradox, I think, in the way that she talks about care and about the state. Um, so, you know, another kind of evocative summary phrase from her, uh, Mary Harrington calls the post-pandemic caring state um, or the, I guess, pandemic era caring state, um, the antiseptic cyborg devouring mother. Um, and she mentions the work of Benjamin Bratton, who's been on this podcast before. Um, and I wonder whether, you know, this characterization is accurate in terms of the, this conception of the state um, and whether, you know, this antiseptic cyborg devouring mother is indeed, you know, is indeed kind of the, the authority that we hold and obviously not the patriarchy. Um, just a thing to kind of tack on to that question is this idea that, you know, she's talking up care. Um, but she's also critical of this notion of the state as kind of the big carer who'll just take you know care of us, which is a clear kind of um, critique or stands in in real contradistinction to the, like the left today, because the left today is basically we want the state to take care of us. I mean, that's the kind of I think the kind of bottom line of bog standard leftism in in the twenty first century is um, I wish the state would kind of take care of us a bit more. Yeah, I, I, I mean, <laughs> but at the very least, she, she's, she's arguing for an amount of power in private life. Um, whereas, like, I don't know, like a Sophie Lewis wants to be on the like digital care tit, and a Mary Mary Harrington like kind of wants to be the tit, which I sort of like appreciate in that it's like she's like well no i want to form these yeah. reciprocal contributive you know communities where i'm um providing something like um you know she wants unalienated meaningful labor um as opposed to she's not she's not anti-work you know and that's i think the big divide mm. yeah yeah. I think that that's yeah. definitely that's definitely true. I mean, it's where care is located for her is very much within civil society and within the intimate sphere. Whereas with Sophie Lewis, it's outsourced and and very remote. I think even though she yeah, talks just about foreclosed her, her on a big thing. social project, both of them have foreclosed on a big social project. I mean, like yeah, yeah Lewis good. would say like, oh no, it's about making the, the you know what if you know what is mother really. Hmm. Everyone is your mother. No one is your mother. You're your own mother. Like, I'm yeah. just I mean, playing a shell game with words. Closer, yeah, whereas Sophie Lewis um, put it, the closest, the closest bio relative, my closest bio relative. That was your know, mother. Happy uh, <laughs> closest bio relative day. Um, it's it's uh, Father's <laughs> Day in the UK on uh, on Sunday, so uh, do do bear that in mind. But um, yeah, I just wanted to return to this. I think it's a great phrase, the antiseptic cyborg devouring mother. And it's, I think because it does hit on a paradox with what you might call positive biopolitics that and particularly kind of the, the pandemic 
you might say the pandemic era peak, but you know this this could be the model that that does get um, played through the the state in in the years to come. The idea there would be that the I think this is for for, for Freud. The idea would be that devouring mother is the the mother who like in some ways cares too much and doesn't care, uh, but that care kind of precludes actually putting the child's interest first. So the, the, it's the the act of caring which is the the thing which is prioritized, and so that's the sort of quote unquote care that the, the pandemic state is able to um deliver and then the antiseptic cyborg bit is the i think she uses benjamin bratton's work as as you said alex this idea that you know societal care can happen at a distance touchlessness this kind of you know um people as as objects ethics of objects bratton talks about and how we can transmit disease so i think it, it really hits the nail on the head for this combination of kind of i guess social dif- physical distance distance um of all different sorts the cyborg use of technology and the devouring mother that kind of the um you know because it was it was um framed you know following covid rules in terms of of care for other people in one sense people who still wear um in i walked down the the street here in london and you know the lollipop lady was wearing a mask still in in you know in summer being outside all day and i thought well lollipop lady you, being someone yeah, who helps lollipop lady the is you've got to explain what lollipop lady <laughs> is george because that could be very <laughs> easily misunderstood so lollipop <laughs> lady in in britain is somebody who volunteers to help children cross the road um to get to school like oh, primary school age children Cro- yeah cross guard but they wear they have this um uh stick with Fine. a big a circle on it which looks like a big lollipop and this is somebody who's like you know they volunteer to do this why do they do this because they care then them wearing the mask in you know being outside and being you know in in somewhat proximity to to children this is somebody showing that they they care i mean it just it just really struck me that that's you know somebody who's who has this kind of good nature um they're the one who's still wearing the mask today anyway just to wrap that all up antiseptic cyborg to my mother I thought her point about daycare on that whole antiseptic stuff was actually really good because I'm like, ah, she's going to fall. And interesting. I'm like, ah, she's going to follow the whole, oh, you're you're putting your kids with people who don't love them. You know, you're abandoning your children to strangers that don't care about them and aren't concerned about their safety, which is the normal conservative thing. And she's like, my one of my big concerns with daycare is that, like, I can be less risk averse with my kid. And he could bob his fucking head. And I'm like, I told you not to run around our house. Um, This is my version Mm. of that because it is the kind of parenting that I recognize. And I have also worked in daycare where you have to, your care has to be, it's rubberizing everything. You have to prevent any kind of um, potential situation where friction or, or, um, or, or they could hurt themselves. And it does, kind of slow down their learning um yeah and and it it does does make them less it makes them Mm -hmm. um less able to um navigate situations and less able to to handle unsafe situations and uh it's like yeah actually like this is um this is a a a a rubber room care it's you know no sharp Mm. objects care it's it is very antiseptic it is keeping you very safe it is and she rightly recognizes that because it's um it's about a liability and like you know this is about uh this is could affect their bottom line as a 
as a business, if a if a kid yeah. gets a, a head bump or whatever, so, so that I thought was crazy but, good. Let me and then and then the care. Though. Sorry, just Alex. Just yeah. I mean, because it's all part of the same discussion, and it's that process again, whereby the care comes to stand on its own rather than be kind of related to what you're ultimately trying to do, which is help the child develop and have fun and become a human being. So the care, that's Robust. why I think the devouring mother hits the nail on the head because it's like the care is or the, the the doing care looking after is prioritized over what the care is supposed to to, to get the child to to kind of mm. where it's trying to get them to yeah. so you have this weird like it just completely destroys its the, the own purpose of, of care and that's consistent for her because she keeps coming back to saying like how you know f- you know how has the logic of care been defeated by various things over the course of the last 34 years no that, yeah, that's very good it's a really good point george yeah, Sorry, but maybe to put the question then, because I think that we can, I think that it's obvious what the line of criticism against, um, you know, kind of outsourced care is and care for its own sake, as you've just well described, George. But when the crisis is also within society, within the intimate sphere, um, such that, you know, parents themselves over, um, over parent, um, she has a whole section on um, the idea that the, the, kind of prevailing concern, particularly among younger generations with safety and harm, um, is a product of kind of overparenting and overprotective parenting over the past yeah. kind of sort of generation. Yeah. If that's happening in the intimate sphere too, then where is the escape from this or where is the, the kind of resolution to that's her, this care for its own sake? You know? That's her prescriptions, right? So that's her kind of like, you know, what Amber said, the homesteading thing. And I don't know if any of you saw this online the other, I mean, I think this was last week now. It was recently, a few days ago, a poll which showed something insane. I think like 30% of millennials would be willing to accept state surveillance, which is, to you know, kind of. Yeah, cameras um, in the home or something. Yes, yes, but use. not just camera, but you know, monitored by a central kind of public service. They'd be willing to accept cameras in the home to monitor your behavior to ensure that it wasn't kind of you know that it was um, that you weren't abusing uh, children. Um, I mean, that's just a start. It's just kind of inconceivable to me that that is a real thing you know i haven't looked at the questions or you know dug into the data but like i mean assuming the headline figures are correct it's just kind of uh, yeah i struggle to get my head around it and it does it does make you reach for these kinds of you know these kinds of i don't know like um compound phrases that she puts together to try and capture this kind of this this technologically upgraded surveillance but at the same time it's very kind of distanced because you know there, there have been these attempts to talk about um the modern state and maternalism and to prov- to kind of give these critiques in the past and i was trying to get my head around you know where mary harrington sits and all that i suppose and it doesn't seem to me clear you know because the idea of a mate you know the kind of the a matriarchal critique of the state seems to me to fit most easily with the 1950s kind of welfare estate, you know, kind of it's overwhelming kind of, um, you know, kind of overwhelming affection in the form of like in an enormous kind of um, cradle to grave welfare state, the kind of the um, old labor athlete mate, you know, vision of the NHS. That's kind of the matriarchal. I think that is the kind of matriarchal ideal um, if you want to kind of take that line of critique, whereas this, you know, the kind of this 
weird, you know, kind of surveillance, but at the same time, no resources are provided and the care is kind of socially distanced and remote and rubberized, antiseptic. It not it doesn't seem there I can't get a coherent picture of it. And so you're left with this kind of forward this forward thing, which isn't really a theory, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I just, it all, it makes me just feel kind of, I suppose a bit, I don't really know what I'm holding. It feels very awkward in my hands. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I like, I like phrases. I mean, <laughs> a good, a good phrase, a good this phrase. This guy just but... likes phrases. I just like phrases. I mean, but like, well, I mean, I this guess, is, the, then, conceit, then you this can... is the conceit of every writer, you know, certainly like political writer, that like through the coining of clever phrases, you are able to resolve the world, or at least resolve the yeah. mess in your head and, and make it all neologismism clean and whatever, is what I call it. You know, neologism. Yeah, that's a good neologism. <laughs> um, that's, but no, it's but funny what, because neologism I, I is I... a neologism. <laughs> what what I I guess what I meant by that, or in, in this case, is like. I think I think it's quite evocative, and then you can put your own ideas into it, and then see them reflected back to you, and think how how like how great are those ideas? But no, I think the that I mean that idea, Phil, that you or the the finding, it I think it's consistent with with the in a with the critique that Harrington's putting forward in this book that that's how uh, children raised by the antiseptic cyborg devouring mother would behave. They've kind of internalized that 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 panopticon of care or that tyranny of like you you do things the fragile little tyrants that that you care yeah that that care for you at the same time that allows you to to perform your tyranny elsewhere anyway i'm i'm i've I've made my my phrase point (laughs) so but before we before we kind of move to kind of wrapping this all up and trying to make some conclusions and also maybe in contrast to some of the sophie lewis stuff um, maybe we should just briefly discuss some of her proposals. I mean, we've discussed kind of abolish big romance. She also wants to defend single sex spaces um, in a chapter uh, entitled Let Men Be. And then also rewilding sex, which I think Amber's already <laughs> already mentioned. Do we do we want to talk about any of these or do we, do we want to move on? I think... Um, uh, I, I don't uh, know. I, I find them very weird. That it's just like defend single sex space. Like, yeah, you, what do you mean defend... Like that, that no, are, are they no one's going to, there's no going to be guess? like state. Yeah. Have friends. I'm sorry. I don't know what to do. <laughs> like make friends. Me, me and the boys still go out and drink beer. You know, like, I don't know what, is that, is that yeah. being, is someone stopping me doing that? Well, we need to so, but, okay. That? But know. she's, she's, hmm. you know, she's clearly got in mind kind of, um, you know, um, she's talking about feminist trans- spaces, but also she's not that keen on feminists feminism so but like she, why are you she, you don't want to hang out but anyway. she's talking about trans men in um essentially what she means is or you know um male if we if we use all the appropriate nomenclature right. as they'd say so you know male presenting people um identifying themselves as women kind of going to you know rape crisis centers being put into women's prisons um going mm-hmm. to female only spas and you know, there's an endless list of these kinds but, of um, you know these kinds of stories in the papers about um, you know when this happens. And in particular, I mean, I don't know, I don't know how you know, I don't know if it's more kind of state based in the US that these stories don't circulate at the national level, maybe. But certainly in the UK, you know, they're very um, they're kind of whenever one of these cases emerges, it achieves a great level of kind of national prominence. And so she's responding to that specifically. 
and I don't, you know, I don't have a, I don't have a problem with it. And I'd put it like this, I suppose, as long as, you know, as long, as long as, um, or at least up until the point that women are statistically likely to attack men and children as men are to attack women and children, um, you know, it seems to me sensible that, you know, we have kind of certain kinds of spaces which are still segregated by sex, you know, women's changing rooms and what have you. The trouble is, you know, what seems to me like it's, you know, I mean, it that very minimal kind of an un, un basic demand that any normal person who hasn't been kind of socialized in uh, or educated at the modern university or among PMC liberals, they just take that for granted and are completely thrown off kilter when they come across these bizarre instances of, um, you know, people kind of men trying to access women's spaces on the basis that they identify as a woman. You know, it's just doesn't seem, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to me to be a substantive real demand for anything. And it's already, you know, effectively being contained or will be contained. All the polls say that people are opposed to it, which is to say they support kind of, um, you know, segregation by sex. Body sex, yeah. Yeah, in certain kinds of places. So I just don't see that it's much of a demand of anything, you know, like it doesn't see if that is the core, if that is one of your core demands, I mean, I support it, but if that is one of your core demands, it doesn't seem to me to amount to much. Hmm. Yeah, so it's it very the tacked around, on so. because she also like, like, I don't think she really cares about prisons. Like, I don't think that's, that's like the, I don't think she cares about like the sort of rarefied spaces that, um, and highly specific situations, uh, where, um, you know, a bodied sex is like, um, it benefits from segregation. Like it just, it just seems very niche to me. Um, and again, yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, like I, I, I'm sympathetic to that as well. Like it, we do have those stories here too. Like, um, like New York daily news, anytime there's like a, you know, a uh, uh, I'm trying to think of like the last one. I think maybe there was like a basketball player or something. It, it happens a lot with sports, but I always end up at this regular thing. And I'm like, this is the only time anyone has ever paid attention to women's sports. Yeah. Oh, don't even get me started on the sports one. I think that one's just such an open and shut case. It's anyway, let's, let's not, let's not. No, do no, that. no. I think, I think, um, I think just, just to return to what, to what, to what Phil was saying, it's, it's the other way around. It's about letting men be. So it's about having boys clubs and, yeah. you know, spaces for like Liverpudlian uh, um, farmers is an ex- example um, that she gives. And I think that the, the rationale for that is, you know, to kind of uh, like, what's up with men? Like, why is men's, uh, why are men's friendships declining? When, uh, why are men more, more kind of atomized? And I think this is where, like, I would yeah. say this is where the, the, the proposals come from this kind of like it, it's all like anti-liberal individualistic kind of proposals what can you have to have more homosociality yeah. well there's also yeah, like right. i mean but, but however go on amber he he okay so she frames it as leave men alone and like by that, she's sort of coming into same-sex space. But, like, the atomization of men and how miserable and lonely they are, which I totally recognize is real, 
um, isn't because women are breathing down their necks. Like it's like yeah. she doesn't get into a uh, like she's she's not quite there. She's like halfway there and then she stopped. Like, I guess, um, uh, but she would probably say something like, you know, they're too feminized or they're too kind of, um, I mean, or they're too kind of, I don't know, over, you know, overseen or have to concern themselves with things that aren't directly, you know, I don't know, masculine or, or they're not allowed to be properly yeah. men. They're not allowed to be masculine, you know. And again, I mean, so I take, you know, I take your point, George. Um, I suppose what I meant was, you know, the kind, you're right. I mean, she reframes it. I think it seems to me like it's a bit of a kind of, you know, kind of uh, an attempt to give more, to give more substance to what, to what is the thing that she's actually addressing, which is this controversy that erupts in the newspapers every so often. But that yeah. aside, like, but it, it still doesn't it, seem to, to, to me blame to that to on the de- Yeah. And to blame that on the devouring mother, just, uh, or, or whatever it is. I guess it would be like another devouring mother, like doesn't make any sense at all. Like you put two men in a room together and just like have them hang out. They're not going to cut through the alienation and be bros anymore. Like the problem isn't about like just like (laughs) pairing them off and putting them on play dates for Christ's sake. (laughs) Which I endorse, you know, like I do. No, I think that's right. I think that's right. I think more more play dates um, would would be a good thing, but yeah, I think there you're probably both right. There is a it's an attempt to kind of turn on its head that that feminist demand for a single or that one specific stream of feminism, perhaps particularly previously mentioned turfs for single sex female spaces, or try and somehow mm. kind of make that if that's uh, radical feminism, then reactionary feminism is is the opposite. But I think uh, yeah, I think I probably tend to agree that it's not. Like that, you already have like men's spaces. Like it's called a podcast. Um, you might yeah, say. The, yeah. <laughs> a group of men yeah. is called but, a podcast. We, we've allowed yeah. you. We've, yeah, we've allowed, yeah. allowed you in. You've you've broken in to our our yeah, treehouse. Yeah, yeah. So. We, we we willingly <laughs> castrated ourselves just so I'm here. That's how much we enjoyed the last mother. conversation. We we really we really uh <laughs> really suffered for our for our art. Um, so yeah, yeah but there's. Sorry, it's, it's 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 not a it's not a question of like opportunities like you can't just like you know throw seeds into the wind and you know a million bro comedies are born it's um yeah not it's even very literally. it's very sad yeah. and i think she recognizes that it's very sad how like lonely the contemporary condition is but it's it's uh not one of those things that you can just yeah you know, i whatever like I, 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 they, I would love it if men were like playing like intramural sports. They'd be way less of head cases or whatever. But it's not like, um, uh, you know, they're very much bowl. They're not even bowling alone anymore. They're just on the computer alone. Yeah, yeah. podcasting Posting alone. That's right. Yeah, Posting yeah. alone. Posting <laughs> alone. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the, the the social crisis is 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 obvious, right? And I mean, you know, so here and kind of discussing this in terms of gender and feminism, you know, you've got Sophie Lewis abolish the family on the one hand, which seems, you know, as we discussed, kind of accelerationist, I guess, or, or in, in some ways of leaning into um, some of the most um, atomizing tendencies in capitalism for all that she pretends that it's otherwise. And then you get on the other hand, you know, Mary Harrington's reactionary feminism, which as you said, Amber, not entirely clear if it is indeed a feminism other than it being concerned with women. Um, and, it's something that might be called, I mean, certainly post-liberal, um, 
you know, she's an editor at Unheard, which is, I guess, has been described as post-liberal or communitarian. Um, alternatively, um, she defends encumberment, you know, the idea that commitments and ties that bind us give our lives meaning and ultimately freedom. And, you know, that all sounds good, but I guess I, how would we characterize this kind of debate or space that there is between this kind of atomistic, crazy attempt to, um, you know, épater le bourgeois, like kind of Sophie Lewis vision of feminism. And on the other hand, Mary Harrington's one, which as we discussed, we're not entirely sure how far she's willing to go in terms of her being reactionary or pulling away from liberalism to fully anti-liberal ideas. So, you know, where, where does that kind of I, leave us? I... And, and, and maybe and maybe gender isn't interesting to discuss. Maybe that could be one conclusion. I think I I, I neologismed myself on this. So uh, I I wrote down that she's a conventionalist. Like actually, she's just mm. her thing is believing what's conventional and presenting it sort of. But it because she's being conventional in an overwhelmingly like left liberal intellectual tradition uh it is in fact like iconoclastic like it's it's like it was it's so weird to just be like yeah i believe that genders um you know like there's something innate about gender moving on like mm. that i mean but it I, is I weird think, that that yeah. is a weird thing to say and believe like i think that's where she places mm. herself where she's just like where have all the average people gone? Well, this is this is it, right? This is the problem with like radical liberalism um, and its kind of institutionalization, which is that you can't even have a normal conversation anymore because so everything becomes a thing. It's like, whoa, you went there, and it's like, well, hang on, I'm not, I'm not saying anything yeah, yeah. that's interesting. I'm just saying something that's the really fact boring. That it's not you know? incendiary to her like um, benefit and to her credit. Like when I was first reading it, I'm like. I love that this isn't like glib or goading. And aside from like the title, there's not really much that's provocative about it. She's like, I'm going to talk about this very simply. And I'm like, oh, but that is kind of like the most outrageous way you could. She's like, she found it. She found a good brand. Because writing something, I mean, writing yeah. conventional ideas down in like this space and atmosphere or whatever, you stand out for just being like, I think gender's real. Just saying the most like, <laughs> like, like thing that like yeah. uh, people who read these books doesn't really think about, but knows that they aren't supposed to believe that. And just being like, I agree with 99% of the world. And people are like, whoa, daring. <laughs> I think, I think that that's certainly part of the, the, the presentation and what partly maybe explains the the title, which, you know, I've already already commented on my, my feelings on. But yeah, I think my conclusion was that in some ways, this isn't really a book about feminism. It's a book about loneliness or social isolation mm -hmm. and what you could do to lessen that. And it's a reaction against her perception that Sophie Lewis's set of proposals would be would increase isolation and, and loneliness. So yeah. I think that idea of her being a communitarian is is a is an important one because she does. I think she would say that it is incumbent can give you freedom and that is just the complete opposite of contemporary yes. hyperliberalism because yeah hyperliberalism is freedom is at you know atomization this charles taylor essay from the 80s came to my mind when i was reading this because i was like this is sort of the same stuff it's saying you know 
this is a political philosophy, liberalism, that, that has freedom entirely as individuals. The more isolated and um, detached from everyone else you can be, the more that your Lego that just kind of clumps yeah. in and then clumps out and goes away, that's the pinnacle of freedom. But she's sort of saying, well, no, there is another. And she doesn't kind of talk about Hegel or any of these other, I mean, whether Hegel or communitarian, um, yeah but like Charles Taylor or any of these people shouldn't really you know that's not the focus of the book but I think that's the kind of theoretical impulse that there must be something that women who are concerned about loneliness and isolation and this like fracturing of society um driven by hyperliberalism can do and whether that's reactionary whether that's conservative whether it's catholic or whatever I think is probably a bit secondary but that's where I see the sort of the va- the value in this I mean I should say that's not my not my you know complete favorite brand of politics but i do see the communitarian right. impulse definitely because yeah people are you know loneliness yeah, is, is is a nice is a real thing she's a communitarian sort of libertarian to me these are two strains of libertarianism um like the the you know cyborg feminism and this what are, what she calls reactionary feminism they're they're both um arrive at um lifestylist uh political lifestylist and voluntarist political prescriptions the only thing i would say that is truly like um it's not groundbreaking this is again saying the most normal thing possible but it sounds insane because no one says it in these in these books but the idea of encumberment the idea that like you know the difference between her and lewis is that she's like sometimes you're going to be the tit. And actually, that is not oppressive. There's actually being a balloon without a string is not the most happy, liberating experience. Um, being tethered and, uh, you know, accountable, not mm. in the woke way that they use it for show trials, but like having an accountability is actually um, is actually like a, a good thing for you. It makes you feel good contributing and um, if you hold a balloon in a certain way, it looks like a tit. So you know, <laughs> think on that. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, that's, I, that's, I, that's, I just thought that, sorry. No, I think, I think that's, that's, you know, partly, and that's why it seems, it seems so like, because this is, you don't have to actually agree with this, but anybody who's, who thinks that these, uh, I guess more constraints, like more family responsibility, that these things can be, uh, a good life can be a, a view of freedom um you know that not everyone agrees with that but certainly a lot of people have have that as their starting point or the convention if she's a conventionalist or like that's the normie approach if she's a normie feminist but like mm-hmm. yeah that's why that's why it seems so out of kilter because that i think view of like what makes humans free and gives us a good life is like is not is not the uh, flavor of the month um at the moment let's put it that way yeah, she's a she's a whether she likes it or not a kill all normies feminist. Like that's well, the, mean, the meaning. Meaning, I think the idea that uh, she's like, why don't we look to the normies? Um, really overgirds, but she would replace sort of like you know politically online stuff with women. She's like, what do normal women want? Why are we caught up in this? Um, sort of culture war feminism mm. um which uh i mean yeah again i mean it's, it's she's there's some good points there she just sort of um has no 
doesn't have enough optimism to make any prescription beyond a sort of untenable libertarian, you know, lifestyle thing. And then like the erosion of like reproductive rights. It's like, wow, I guess this is. Don't make it sound so good. I think this is the, (laughs) this is like the un, I don't want to say undialectical, but this is like the one sidedness I think that comes through in the, it's like hyperliberalism is like no incumbent, no, no ties. So the, the response is, fetishized ties like as many times yeah. as possible yeah um and so yeah. i mean it just it just comes across as a bit i, I wasn't expecting <laughs> their proposals definitely but and i but i can see how they would follow but i'm you know probably wasn't wasn't gonna uh i was gonna say i wasn't gonna be convinced but maybe i do live my life in uh you know a podcast i have the I, I, you know one of those single sex spaces and other things like you, that so you work, yeah, you work from home you work from home george right um not that often and it's that was also extremely a good point boring. too where yeah. she's she's like yeah people were miserable being locked in their houses uh during the pandemic by the way the solution to all our problems stay at home <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely a little bit of a yeah, well little bit of a hole in that one Anyway, I mean, to, to wrap this up, this, I found this really interesting. And I think it kind of might be worth exploring other ways in which those who try to extricate themselves from liberalism, kind of in making good points, maybe end up in, um, I don't know, maybe without the kind of ideological support or guardrails, you end up in, in, I don't know exactly where you end up. Like Amber said, maybe sometimes in making kind of quite obvious points, which um, break with the whatever the new orthodoxy of the day is. Um you know, you sound like you're making some radical proposition when you're actually saying something that's, you know, kind of sound, but otherwise banal. But anyway, maybe we should, uh, we should explore this um, further some other time. Oh, shit. Um, I was supposed to say that I have a review of this book coming out in Catalyst um, in August at some point. Okay, great. Yeah, um, we will, uh, we'll link to Amber's review when it when it comes out at some uh, future point in time. Um, but for now, thank you, Amber, for, for coming on. Uh, cheers, boys. And we will see you, listener, later. Catch you later. Bye-bye. Like, she really found a, a, an angle, the least effort possible way of being edgy. <laughs> Yeah. Um, uh, maybe she just had one conversation with a normal person and yeah, that is like, yeah and took what, all of their she took a sample what of said. what people believe <laughs> and she just like operated yeah. off of the survey responses of women she met in the grocery store <laughs> I love my children oh this so women tend to oh. love their children <laughs> <laughs> uh. I tell you, I wish he would get out of the house sometimes. I tell him, go go down to the bar with your boys, right? <laughs> you're allowed to do a sexism. I wish you were recording that. You're allowed, you're allowed two sexisms and one half racism. <laughs> but, but that's, I wish you were recording that because I kept trying to nail down like what it meant. Uh what it meant when when she's like writing these what conventionalism was and it's just like yeah that's kind of what it is they're like oh look have you seen this a bloody transgender is in the girls soccer team and ooh okay i better talk about that like it's i mean it's great but, but this is this is like this is this <laughs> politics which is like I mean, I've said this to George and Phil before about kind of quiet politics, but it's kind of like, would everyone just shut the fuck up and just be normal, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. And and we've all been there. We've all been there. So, you know, 
Um, it's a feeling, not a politics, there is in that. but boy, do I feel it a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. difficult to, it is difficult to not turn into a politics, I would agree. And uh, catch, every, catch everyone later. Catch Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> You did great, what were you baby. trying to say? I'm not sure. Like catch, and, catch you all later. And I, and I catch me see, if you can. Yeah. How long have you been doing this? this? No, let me do this. I know, I know. Yeah. Uh, I I had blood taken from me. Lots of blood taken from me this morning. That's why. Um, find my, find my, your my balls. Essential, my essential balls. Medically, 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 no, medically, medically. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs>